talking for the last little while about how amazing the Word is. And uh, it comes in many forms. Uh, it comes in the spoken, comes in the written, comes on uh, iPads and uh, iPods and whatever else. Uh, it doesn't come on the screen anymore for some reason. So I hope you brought something with you tonight that you can, um, that you can use to, uh, to follow along. Uh, we've been encouraging you, um, even as a church, just to be uh, joining with us as we're going through the book of Ephesians and reading, reading along, reading ahead. You know, it's, uh, it's almost like cheating, but it's, it's good because I, I hope tonight, too, at the end, just to give you a chance to share with some of the things that maybe you've seen uh, as you've been reading through Ephesians uh, chapter 1. And you say, well, I didn't do it this week. You got next week. We're going to still be in Ephesians chapter 1 next week. We'd love to give you a chance to, to see that as well. But this book is absolutely amazing. It's life-changing if we'll allow it to be. Um, the, the idea behind this study is not just, to, um, not just to know the Word of God better. Uh, our heart is that we would know the God of the Word better. And that's something that, uh, as we study this, um, I, I, I was reading that people find creative ways to... Um, to get you to read something. So there was this article out on how to have an affair on your wife, written by a, a Christian, um, um, a pastor's wife, whose uh, husband had cheated on her. And so he wrote, uh, she wrote this article. And of course, it's kind of intriguing when you see that written on like a Christian uh, uh, page. And you're like, what, what the, why are they advertising that? One of the things that they just said is one of the greatest ways that you can um, um, uh, allow something like that to happen to your life is to study the word and never let it affect your heart. You know, know the word, but never allow God to use that inside of you. And tonight, my challenge for us is that we would just open our hearts and say, okay, God, we're, we're here tonight. We give, you know, we uh, give you the, the, the opportunity tonight to speak to our hearts. And when he does, and when you know, hey, that was something for me, that was, that was more than just kind of up here. That's like, oh, I can't shake that. Then to do something with it tonight, you'll, you'll hear a little bit later why that happens to us. Um, we want to apply our life to this book. We talked about how God's not an add-on. We're not adding God to our life, and hopefully he's going to make it better. We're, uh, we're uh, uh, giving our life to Christ and applying our life to this book, not just taking the words we think are good for us and, and saying, yeah, we'll put that in our lives. It's saying, I want to I model my life to, to follow the, uh, his word as closely uh, uh, as possible. Some of the things we've learned in, in the study so far, it's been three weeks, but um, we realize that uh, that. Um, uh, Christ has um, blessed us, uh, that we've already been blessed, we are being blessed, and we will be blessed. That doesn't stop. We've been blessed with spiritual blessings, and we looked at them quickly uh, last week, uh, the quantity of them, the quality of them, and then we looked at the qualification, which we learned is all you have to do is be in Christ, and you have those blessings. And we started looking at um, the verses from um, chapter 3 all the way to 14, and in the Greek, it's one big, super long sentence. And Paul, it's almost like he starts saying, hey, this is what it's like to be in Christ. And then we compared it to that um, Lincoln's Walk Down Food Alley, where it's like every food is just, oh, it's, it's also this and this and this and this. And it just gets better and better. So we looked at them pretty quickly last week. And over the next two weeks, we just want to take time to go back and check out those specific things and just break them down a little bit more. Um, Mark Jefferson will be here next week doing that. And so um, I'll be here, but I'll be, uh, I'll be jet lagged. I'm flying in from Winnipeg, so I'm gonna, he's going he's gonna to speak for me. Uh, so it, it'll be a, a great, great weekend um, as well. But um, turn just um, to Ephesians 1, verse 18. We're not that far yet, but I want you to see something here before, because there's no verses and chapters in the original book. Paul just wrote one letter. So he says it's just this one fluid letter, and in this letter, in verse 18, he says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those he called to his holy um, people who are his rich and glorious 
uh, inheritance. He's praying for them as they're reading this letter. His prayer for them is that their eyes, uh, in the New King James, it says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. It's like I pray that the lights would come on uh, as, this is, uh, as we're talking about this so, so that you get it. Uh, that's what he was praying for them after he just shared this big, long sentence. That's my prayer for you tonight, too. My prayer is that after tonight, you'd be like, whoa, the light came on. I, I get it. I know, what, I know what he's saying in Ephesians to me. It's the reason we're going through it. It's not just like, hey, we read a book. It's what is he saying to you tonight? What is he saying to John Horton? What is he saying to Zane and to Isaiah? You know, it, it might, uh, th- th- there's a purpose and a reason for each one of us to be here tonight. And that is that, that he'd be able to speak to us. Um, so as Paul, as he wrote this one long letter, he built thought upon thought. Just kind of, hey, taking this thought and then building this one on that and then the next one. And that's kind of how they broke it down into verses and chapters for us. So if you go back now, he's saying, hey, I, I really hope that your lights are going to come on for you in this. He says, um, he had said in verse 3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And uh, just, we'll stop there for a minute. I just want take a look back. It says even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. We talked a little bit about this last week. Who did God choose? What did did God choose? um, Did God choose in this place to say, yeah, I'm going to choose, you know, John and Diane, but I'm not choosing Bob and Betty. You know, they might go to church all this whole time, but you know what? I didn't pick them. You know, those guys, uh, um, John and Diane are are the ones that I've chosen to be uh, my children. And for some, there's there's a thought, um, there's teaching uh, about that. And I wonder, did God choose specific people uh, in, in this place to be his children? Uh, and as I read through this, I, I, I find verses in the Bible that just don't allow me to th- think along those lines when it comes to this. Um, many of you know the scripture in John chapter 3, verse 16. What does it say? For God so loved the, the world. Not God so loved the eating tins, right? It was like God so loved the world. God so loved all of them that uh, it says that whoever believes in him, you know, would, would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, verse 36 in the New Living, it says this, and anyone, anyone, who's anyone? Just take a look around. That's anyone. Yeah, you're right. You're an anyone. Uh, I'm an anyone. It says anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's angry judgment. It's kind of a scary thought. You know, he's saying, hey, there is this two sides. In 1 John 2 verse 2, um, it's, it says this, uh, he himself, Jesus, is talking about him. He's the sacrifice that atones for sins and not only for our sins but for the sins of all the world. You know, some, some would want to say that, hey, you know, the sins are only for, you know, he only died for a number of sins, and those people that uh, he's only died for the sins of the people that he came to save. But we know that he came to save the whole world. And as we look at that, you say, why, why is it important? Because it does say that he chose something. So what did God choose before, um, before the whole world began? Before anything happened, what did he choose? It says that, um, if you look at it again in verse 4, it says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Um, it's, when it's talking about what he, what he chose, uh, you'll see a little bit later uh, in verse 7, but he chose to redeem the world that had turned against him. He had already chosen before this world ever existed, before Adam and Eve ever decided to sin, before all of that happened, he already decided that he was going to make a way to rescue this world that he knew would turn against him. 
See, God's not limited by time. So he knows and he, he can see that. But this is what he chose. He says, you know what? I could choose to just let them go. You know, if they want to turn their backs on me, done. I'll create new ones. Uh, I'll just make new people and they can all, wherever they end up, uh, who cares? But he didn't. He said, you know what? I love this. I love these people. I'm going to choose something. I'm going to choose the way that this is going to happen as well. Um, I'm going to choose that it's going to be Christ who is going to be the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. He's going to be the Savior. He had all that figured out before we ever entered the planet. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 to 20, he says this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. So, you know, your parents, what did they give you? Empty life. That's all you got, you know, when you're born. But it says this, The ransom that he paid wasn't mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Amazing. But verse 20 says this, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. See, the whole idea of the New Testament uh, and the idea of Jesus is that God's revealing the plan that he had for the world. He's revealing that plan through Christ. And, and he's saying this, that this happened long time ago. This is, what, this is the idea that he had. So I want to I give you a little illustration tonight. I brought this along. Grant was asking me if we were doing baptisms tonight, but uh, that's not what it's about. I, I want you to just take a, take a good look at the, the little pool there. So uh, what I'd like to, um, uh, pictures kind of help me sometimes as far as uh, seeing things, but what God's idea with this whole planet was, was, was choosing the way that people would be um, saved, be born again, be rescued, be redeemed, and we're going to call this pool that way. This pool we're going to call in, in Christ. So when you're, when you're in the pool, he looks at you and says, wow, you're faultless. You're guiltless. You're holy. You're spotless. You're like, wait a second. Is he looking at the same guy? Like, I look in the mirror and I don't see that. But when he says, when you're in Christ, this is who you are. You're guiltless, spotless. You're, you're holy already. That's what he says about you. When you're out of the pool, when you're not in Christ, he says that you're an enemy of God. You're not even like a good person. He says all your, all your righteous deeds, they're, they're like filthy rags. You have nothing good to offer. He says you're sinful. You don't have a snowflake's chance in anywhere of making it uh, when the wrath of God comes because you don't have, you have no alibi. You've got nothing. Your, your good doesn't outweigh your bad because there's nothing good in you. That's what it means to be outside of Christ. So how do, you know, the, the idea of getting out becoming in Christ, is that simple process, really, of receiving Jesus as your Savior, believing that he's, that he's God, believing that he died on a cross for our sins, for my sins, and then receiving the free gift of salvation and following Jesus Christ. He says, now you are in Christ. You're not like this. You're not halfway there. And, and this is what Paul's saying to them. He's saying, listen, in Galatians, I told you guys that, that the whole idea was it's Jesus only. It's not Jesus and you helping him out a bit, you know, Jesus and you going to church. It's just Jesus. And when you get that, you are now in Christ. And I want you to understand what it looks like when you're in Christ. Um, so there's this, um, there's this king, and I told this story before, there's a king and a beautiful daughter. He had no sons. He had no one to leave his kingdom to. So he decided he'd set up a contest. And he, had, he said to all of the men of this country, whoever can come here, he says, I have a, I have a pool, huge pool. It's 100 meters long. It's full of sharks, piranhas, and snakes, venomous snakes. And I'm going to put my daughter and the, and the kingdom on this end. Whoever jumps in, swims across, uh, the first one to survive it, they are the winner, and they will marry my daughter, and they will get the kingdom. 
And all of a sudden, a guy jumps right in, like right away. Can't believe it. He starts swimming furiously all the way across the pool, gets out on the other side, and the king can't believe it. Like he survived. The king looks to him and says, man, that's amazing. He's like, he says, you are, you know, you're the one who gets the princess. You're the one who gets the, um, who gets the kingdom. And the guy says, I just want to ask one question to the king. And he so, so the king says, okay, well, what is he? He's like, who pushed me? You know, and so um, the, the, the thought of this same idea is that, you know, that the idea of being in the pool, nobody pushes you. Nobody chooses for you. The whole idea of being in Christ is a choice that you have. That's why I went back before and said, who, what did Jesus, what did God choose? He chose to create the way, but he gave you free will to choose to be chosen, to choose to step into that and be in Christ. And when you're in Christ, to realize what that, ha- uh, what that means. Free will is the choice to leave the old life behind and receive Christ, and get in Christ, be in Christ, and be in the pool. Um, Romans 12, 3 says that God has given everyone a measure of faith. It's not talking necessarily about salvation, faith at that point, but it does say that he's given to every person a measure of faith, and without faith, it's impossible to please God, is what his word says. But he says those who come to him must believe that he is, that he's God, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So he's, he's saying, hey, I've given you even the faith that you need to come to, to come to me and to receive Christ. So choosing to receive Christ by faith, which God gives you, it says that then you are now in Christ. What does that mean? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, that I am a new creation in Christ. I am, as soon as you step into here, something different, something changes. You're a new creation in Christ. All the old things passed away. Well, I still smoke sometimes. I still drink sometimes. You know, all that stuff. He says, it's passed away. That's all former life now. You might not, you might not look it, but he says, you are it. He says, and the, the whole idea of it is, and why it's so important, he says, if you don't believe it, you'll never see it. It's the way the whole kingdom works. You believe first, you see later. So he says, you believe that you're in Christ, believe who you really are, you'll see that in your life. So Paul's saying to this church, he's like, you're a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything has become new for you because you are in him. And it's who you are already, not who you're becoming. So you start seeing now why Paul's so excited when he starts talking about this and just can't stop. He's like, this is who you are in Christ. This is what he's done for you. If you, are, if you are in the pool, if you're in Christ, you are a new creature already. Then in Ephesians 1 verse 5, it says, um, it says this. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God decided in advance So he's already talking about this is what he did before the whole world began. And it also talks about in advance that he decided to adopt us into his family. The New King James uses a word called predestined. Predestined is a word that, it's a church word that has gotten all kinds of... um, all kinds of good, um, good fights going in the church and also create a whole lot of denominations because they just can't agree on what this thing actually means. The simple thought about this word, though, is that the word just means he predetermined something. He predetermined something. But um, some have used this word to say that God has predestined that everything that happens, he's the one doing it. So if something, nothing happens unless God is the one doing it to you. Uh, and, it's, and he says that, you know, the, the others have taken it to that point where they said, you know, some are predestined to be saved and some are predestined not to be. It's as much as God picking the right or picking the left. You guys are lucky. Sucks to be you. Right? And, th- and so this thought then is like, well, if God's all in control, then what point is there? And the enemy loves that lie because it just immobilizes people. It creates, there's, there's, no, there's no need to do anything. Why, why evangelize if God's already chosen? 
And why try to find God if I'm chosen not to make it? It, it completely immobilizes us as the army of God to, to, to even think along those thoughts. And Paul says to this church, listen, this is what he has predetermined. Because Paul is explaining, God has predetermined some things. He's not limited by time like we are. For instance, if you picture it this way, and, and it's, you know, it's not in the Bible, but it's the easiest way that I can understand something that's really difficult to understand. Picture, have you ever been to the parade? Ever in the Santa Claus parade and you sit there and you watch it and you, you know, if you're watching it on TV, they show you the one float and sometimes they'll show you down the road and see what's coming. But if you're there, if you're like on the street and you're watching, all you really see, especially if you're around the corner, is all you see is the one float that's coming around the corner. You have no idea how many are coming. You have no idea when Santa's coming or when the last float is going to be there. You just see what's directly in front of you. Now picture for a second, that's a good picture of us, but now picture watching that same parade from a helicopter and you're just watching the whole thing go. So for instance, we've got, let's say, you know, there's a, there's a parade that's got, you know, Snoopy, you know, and then uh, Donald and then Mickey, right? And all of a sudden, you know, well, those guys are scrapping around the corner. They all switch places. No, now Donald's first. And as far as some of us, we would say, in the thought of this God determining everything, they would say that, oh, well, you know, God made Donald move up to the spot, you know, so he's the one controlling all things. But the real, real part of some of this stuff is that watching from the helicopter, you can see what's happening. Doesn't mean he's doing what's happening. So as the parade all changes, he knows the beginning of the parade and the end of the parade. No matter how many times those floats all want to change spaces, he knows. He can see all that happening. And as, it, as that, that process um, all happens, he's not predetermining that, you know, which order they're all going to be in. What he's predetermining is there's going to be a parade. There's going to be a beginning. There's going to be an end. And some of the things are predetermined to happen, and other things in there are, are merely consequences of choices that happen. And so it's important to understand which is which. What are things that God is predetermined? Because they're not changing. And what things are just um, choices and circumstances and consequences of choices? Because those things, are, we play a big part in how those things happen. It's amazing when you start, start thinking about this. It says that, that, um, that what uh, God had predetermined, his predetermined plan, number one was that it was going to be in Christ. Number two, the plan was it was going to be adoption. That was going to be the way. He predetermined that it would be adoption. It's not going to be slavery. He doesn't say, you know what, well, pff, sheesh, man, you, messed, you guys messed up huge. You know what, I'll take you back, but uh, you're going to live in the barn and you're going to work for me. You know, that's how this deal is going to go. It's not what he planned. He also didn't plan that it would be a foster system, you know, where, yes, you can live in the house, but you're not a real child. You know, if you do one bad thing, you break the rules just once, I'm sending you back where you came from. He didn't plan that. He planned that it's going to be adoption, that he's going to adopt back. I love the illustration of he's going to make you legally his again. Right? That the idea of you're going to be legally mine again. That's, that's the, the thing. We're going to, you're going to be family. It, it's... Um, it's not this um, sense, well, he talks about, he says, it's my good pleasure to do this. It wasn't obligation. It's not like God's like, oh, man, way to go, Adam. Sheesh, now I've got to bail you out. And you have no idea how much this is going to hurt. You know, like, all right, fine. You know what? I made you. I guess I better be responsible for you. You screwed everything up, but I'll fix it. It wasn't that at all. It was this absolute incredible love that he had, realizing, wow, they messed up. But, man, I can't, I, I can't lose them. I love them, and I want them. So when you realize that you're in Christ, one thing you realize is you are incredibly loved. 
And, and Paul's saying, hey, you guys are in Christ, but you don't realize all of these things. You say, you keep looking like, well, I still look the same. He says, but you're loved. You're incredibly loved by the fact that you are in Christ. This is what this extreme love that he has for you. He says, this is what he said. When you're in Christ, you are in the family. Whether you feel like it or not, you are. And it says, once you start to believe, I'm in the family, guess what? You start feeling like part of the family. The whole idea is to believe first. You know, what are the benefits of being his child? We talked a little bit about it, but there's some benefits of being a child. Number one, when you're actually a child of God in Christ, it's not like you're far from him. You have, you have access to relationship with him. Ephesians 2 verse 18, it talks about that. We have access to, to come before God. Hebrews 4 16, he says this, Come, let us boldly enter the throne room of grace. That was like, that was unheard of in that time. When there was kings around, like there aren't any really in our, in our culture. We don't understand kings. Back then, king was the most powerful man on the, uh, on the planet. You did not walk into his presence unless you were summoned. And if you were summoned, it's usually a bad thing. Nobody sees the king. But he says, you know what? You can just boldly enter the throne room, uh, the throne room of grace and mercy, uh, that you might find grace and mercy in time of need. It's not even like you're coming in there when you're at your best. You can boldly come in there when you're at your worst, when you absolutely need grace. He says, that's when you can just walk right in. Why? Because you're my kid. My kid's walking to my office. You know, I, I kind of hate it. I keep telling him, you know, hey, that's not a playroom, but it's always a playroom. I come home. I still keep my kids. I throw their toys in the other room. I'm keeping those kids, right? I, I love those kids. But there's, there's the, the thought, you know, I go to my in-law's place. I don't usually knock on the door when we go there. Why? Because it's family. They're my, they're, they, they, I call them mom and dad. They're like my parents. I knock sometimes just in, just in case, right? Give them a heads up. But I walk right on in. Like, they don't, there's, there's no time. This is the, 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 the same thing. Why? Because I don't, I don't have to make an appointment with them. You know, it's just, I show up, and if they're there, it's the first thing, hey, you want to have coffee? It's because there's their parents. Same thing with my parents. Uh, because there's your kids. That's what you have with God. Sometimes you're like, oh, i got to go through all these hoops. i gotta, I got to pray just right. i got to make this happen. He's like, no, you're my kid. You have access to me all of the time. Then it says in Ephesians 1, verse 3, we realize that all that he has is ours. That's amazing if you can figure that out, that when you're in Christ, everything that he has is yours. My father-in-law has a side-by-side, like it's, a, it's like a souped-up golf cart um, that he bought because we started building a golf course out there. And, and I was like, it's sweet. I love this thing. You know, he's got the coolest toy. So um, I want to take my kids there. And, and I'll text him probably four or five times a week sometimes. Hey, Dad, can I take the kids on the side-by-side? And he usually texts back and says, why do you even ask? You know, it's yours. Go ahead. You go ahead and, and take it. Why? Because he's, his, his whole thought of, you know what? As a father, what's mine is his. It's, go ahead and take it. Uh, it's, it's no problem at all. And so when you start thinking about that, it's the same thing that God's saying to you. He's like, you know what? I already know what you need before you ask. So don't feel like you can't come talk to me. Just come talk to me. I, I, that whole thing is there. The other thing that you have is a benefit of being a child, and this one's a little strange, but you have the benefit of being disciplined. I hated that word. I don't like it at all. You know, in Hebrews 12, it talks about those who he dearly loves. He disciplines, he corrects, and he punishes. I mean, those are not nice words. 
You know, I remember when I was a kid, you know, my, my parents would say you know, things like, this is going to hurt me a lot worse than it hurts you. And I know they lie to me every time, right? They got a wooden spoon and I got skin, right? Like it's, uh, it's uh, how is this going to hurt you worse than it's going to hurt me? Um, but there's that thought of that's what God's thought too for us, the rescuing us. He says, you know, there's this, um, this amazing price that he was worth uh, willing to pay for us. But there's that, that thing of saying, you know what, I'm not going to just let you wander off to wherever you think you're going to go because it's going to hurt you. There's these things I'm going to um, bring correction into your life so that it says in verse 11, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living in your life because right living leads to incredible blessings in your life, a lot less heartache if you do it right. Um, it's, you know, one thing about his discipline, it's always right. You know, it's always the right type, the right amount, and at the right time. It, you know, sometimes as a parent, <laughs> as a parent and discipline, uh, sometimes you can get the 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 right, you know, the, the wrong amount of punishment for the crime. It just doesn't, it doesn't fit. You know, it's like the kids will do one thing. You're like, that's it. We're never taking you anywhere again. It, it's never going to happen, right? But obviously if it did, the punishment does not fit the crime. With God, it always does. You can know that because of his incredible love for you, that when there's, when there's stuff happening in your life, when the correction's happening in your life, it's right. You say, well, Mark, what's the correction? What is it? How does God correct us? Because you just said, you know, before that he doesn't, he's not doing, um, he's not bringing this bad stuff in my life. But this is, these are some of the ways you can recognize it. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful. It's useful for some things. What's it useful for? Correction. It's useful for showing us what's wrong in our lives, helping us to, um, to do what is right. You know, this word of God, if you allow it into your heart, it will correct you. It'll bring correction that will save you from consequential correction. If you can get it here first, it'll save you a lot. It's like going to the dentist. You know, if you can brush your teeth and do the preventative stuff, they can fix your teeth later, but it's a whole lot worse process. It's much better to have it, have it uh, on the thing. So as we say, God, I want to know your word. I want to live what your word says. It allows that. Um, God doesn't give sickness. God doesn't kill people. He doesn't take your relatives just to, um, you know, to prove something or because he needs them there. God doesn't abuse his kids. Uh, we would never think of any father. And so when you look at things like that, realize that the things that are God and the things that are not, because um, does any of that sound like the God we've just been describing that Paul is so excited about? No, it doesn't sound like that, that at all. Um, you know, one of the things of correction in our life, God will, you know, he allows some of the consequences of the choices we make to happen. It's not that he causes those consequences, but those things that happen in our life as a result of it, he may use as those teachable moments. I shared a while back that my daughter, she was, we told her multiple times, do not, that the fridge is not a toy. You have a lot of toys, but the fridge isn't one of them. And the door, I don't know, she just loves that door at the top, grab on the handle, swing out, let it bounce back and swing back to the chair and, and make it. Um, and so we had told her multiple times that that's not a good idea, but she just did whatever. My son Maddox is the same way now. So they grab onto it, swing out, swing back. Well, one time she swung, swing, swung, swung out, whatever. She swinged uh, so with all of her might and went all the way around. And uh, when it stopped, she didn't. And she went flying off. She was like four years old, landed face first on the floor and got up. And I was like ready to jump out of my seat. And I did. Uh, right there in the kitchen, I'm like, Reese, I told you that. And Beth's like, hey, Mark, hold on a second. Like the natural consequence of just what, what just happened to her is more than enough punishment that uh, you don't need to pile on, right? I was like, okay, you know what? She's so brilliant. But God's the same. It's the same, uh, same thought for us 
that the natural consequences in, that happen in our life can, can also give us the chance to say, God, I've got, got to come back to you. I've got to get to that spot with you. So whatever it might be, he, uh, he may work through those teachable moments. His discipline is meant to bring the best out in us. It's always good. You know, that's, that's um, you know, Lisa Nye, she's a weightlifter, and um, she, she goes here every once in a while. She was talking about that, the, how the discipline of, of weightlifting, how to have the right form, how to be in that right spot, allows her to lift incredible amounts of weight. Uh, she's like a gold, uh, 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 what do they call it, gold medal, gold record, uh, world record holder. Why? But she said it's the discipline. It's the doing all of those things in the right way gives her the opportunity to be the best. It's God's same thing for us. We think discipline is always like this punishment. It's not. This is training. It's saying if you could do these things this way, you do marriage this way, it's going to be the best. You parent your kids this way, it's going to be the best. You work for your employer this way, it's going to be the best. And he, he um, fills his word with those thoughts. And he, that's what he's saying here is the benefit of you being his child is you get that. You get that opportunity. Um, our responsibility as parents comes under this too. What a great example for us in training, um, training up our kids to do it in love always, um, to bring the best out in them. You know, when they just drive you crazy, is it discipline because it drives you crazy or is it discipline because I want to see the best in you, son? I want to see the best in you. You know, there's, this, there's, um, there's a thought that, you know, a lot of times if parents are like, oh, you know what? I keep working with my child, and they keep resisting. They, you know, they, they're just so lazy, I just give up. I would encourage you to, you know, press through their resistance in training them to be uh, mature and to have a strong work ethic and to push past that, even though it's annoying. You're just like, I can't do this anymore. To do it for them. To realize that discipline is, is, as, is, is for them. It's training for them. You know, children want their parents to put rules in their life. They do. It's amazing. In the studies of toddlers, it's the, they'll have a parent um, discipline their child. And who does that child run to right afterwards for a hug? The one who just disciplined them? Why? Because there's something wired in us that we, we desire that. You know, teenagers, we you keep hearing they don't want their parents to just, you know, not care whatever. Let them do whatever they want to do. They want somebody who cares what they're doing. They want somebody who can have conversations with them about really difficult things. They want that in their life. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 6, I want to just end with this verse tonight. It says, to the praise of, uh, of the glory of his grace. Sorry, there's three verses here. But to the praise of the glory of his grace. Paul just cheers that out. He's like, this is all that's happening in Christ. Man, praise the glory of his grace. He is incredible uh, by which he made us accepted. So when you are in Christ, you're accepted already. Just the way you are, you are accepted. Then he says in Ephesians 1 verse 7 8, the last things, it says, in him. In Christ, you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us all in wisdom and prudence. You know, it says if you are in Christ, here's another thing. You are redeemed. You already are. Redeemed is a word we don't use a lot. What does it mean? It means you have a fine, you know, that you're going to jail for. He pays the fine. It's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's just an incredible thought. Wes, um, he's doing the study or did the study of Ephesians, and we've been listening to that. If you get a chance, you can check it out online under Sweets Corners. But he shared this story. Uh, he went to Honduras uh, on vacation, and he was on this island called Roatan, and there they have iguanas. Just that island is the only place where these iguanas live, and so they're just really, really beautiful animals. Uh, and he said that one day the, the people that they met there, they were these rich doctors from up here. They were down there. They saw this guy uh, with two of these iguanas in a cage. And so they asked their guide, hey, what's, what's what are you doing with the iguanas in the cage? He's like, well, he's taking them home for dinner. 
And they're like, they're, like, this can't happen. Like, they'll stop the car. We're getting out. So they went to this guy and said, you can't, you know, let them go. And he's like, no, you know, I caught these things. They're really hard to catch. And so they said, well, how much? We'll buy them from you. And so he worked it out with them, and they paid 20 bucks each for each iguana. And then as they're making the transaction, the police show up because it's actually illegal on that island to buy those iguanas. So the police officer is going to take them to jail, but they bribe the police officer with 80 bucks. They pay 20 bucks for each iguana. Happy police officer, two free iguanas. And, um, you know, they come home feeling like they've, they've, they've rescued something. Uh, and Wes was saying, too, that uh, those iguanas, he said, you know, to, to have the chance to be set free. Where were they going? They were going to be dinner. You know, the enemy's plan for you has been the same thing. With the trap of sin, he just wants to have you for lunch. You know, his plan for you is never good. It never is. That's why it says sin, you know, it sounds so great, and then it gets to the end. It's like all it leaves is death. That's his whole thought for you. And God says, you know what? That sin, it says um, that there's, there's a price for that, but I'm going to pay it. That's what it means if you're in Christ. I'm going to pay that price. And that price wasn't 20 bucks. That price was his precious blood is what he says. Uh, and so, you know, the, the enemy would love for you to continue to believe that you're not worth it. The guy selling the iguanas couldn't believe that they would pay 20 bucks for these iguanas, right? Because to him, it was worth one meal. That 20 bucks is going to buy multiple meals for his family. They're not worth 20 bucks. Do you know the enemy would love for you, even as believers, even for people who are in Christ, would love you to feel worthless, would love you to feel like you don't matter, would love for you to feel like you have no purpose, would just love for you to feel like that. If you feel like that tonight and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's something that, that's, that, that's missing. He says, I want you to understand, when you're in Christ, you're accepted. You are worth going to the cross for. You are worth the incredible price because you are in Christ. This is who you really are. And once you realize that, you don't need to impress people around you anymore because this is who you are. He uses words like this about you. You're my treasure. You're my masterpiece. You're my beloved child. You're my joy. You're spotless, blameless, righteous, and holy. When he looks at you in the pool, he doesn't see your sin. Um, uh, um, I, I, got a, I got a little picture I want to show you on Pinterest. Just wait one second. Oh, never mind. All right, on Pinterest, there are some good ideas, and then there are some other ideas. This was one of the other ideas where you draw fake eyelashes on, or eyebrows on your kids and then just watch what they do and take pictures of them, and uh, it's kind of it's hilarious. But uh, it's not really funny if you use something that's semi-permanent, like uh, eyeliner. So today, my wife sent me this uh, about you know five or six hours ago and thought, oh, it's hilarious. Then before I left, she had been trying frantically to scrub this eyeliner off of the kids, and it's um, still there. It might still be there tomorrow for church. So, um, you know, when I left tonight, there was like some faded ones on some of the kids, but the other ones, it's like still like super dark. So might be, I don't know, might be permanent. But the enemy would love for you to think that of your life, that all of the wrong things you've done, those, those things are still there. Yes, God's forgiven me, but they're still there. Those black marks are going to be there forever. You know, until I do enough to wipe them off, they're going to be there. Guess what? He says they're gone. He says, in Christ, they're gone. You know, if you watch the Leafs, um, they've been doing awesome until this, this last, the other night. Heartbreaking. They lose on the worst goal possible. A guy shoots it from his end, falls, bounces off the boards, hits the goalie's skate, and goes in. It was awful. But guess what? That video is being watched millions of times on the internet. The enemy would love for that thought, too, to take, you know, your little mess up, your sin, your, your wrongdoing, and just post it on YouTube so that it's there. But, or he'll just play it in your mind on YouTube, uh, the YouTube of your mind. But guess what? Guess what? You know what he says about you? When you're in Christ, he, the Psalms, it t- talks about in Psalm 103, he says this, uh, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I took your sin and put it away from you. 
It is that far gone. Well, I don't feel that. It doesn't matter what you feel when you're in Christ. That's how far it is. You know, why did he use east-west? Well, if you start traveling north, once you hit the North Pole and you keep going, well, now you're going south. There's a, there's a distance between the North and South Poles. When you start going east, you just keep going east. You'll come back around this way, you know, after however long it took. You'll just keep going. You're going to go east, east, east for eternity. He says, that's how far all the black marks, whatever. This is who you are in Christ. You didn't even do it. You didn't have to do it. You didn't earn it. It's just that's how it is for you if you are in Christ. Last thought, you've got to believe that before you see it. Some of you here are sitting here tonight going, you know what? It's not true. I don't see it. I don't feel like that. I don't feel loved. I don't feel like I'm worth uh, anything. I, you know, don't throw me a birthday party. Don't do anything like that for me because I'm not really worth it. You know, and there's that, that thought, guess what? You are. You are, and that hasn't changed. What needs to change is that he says that we be transformed by the renewing of our mind and we begin to think differently. Um, everything in this kingdom is that way. So you know what it says when you, when you received Christ? He put you in the pool. You're in Christ. You are all those things. And then it says now we begin to put off the old man and put on the new one. While we're here tonight, that's what we're doing. Putting on the new man and saying, yeah, I believe that about me. Okay, God, if that's what you say, that's what I believe about me. That's who I am. You're putting on those new clothes, and pretty soon you start to look like what you are, what you really are. He says, but just realizing and saying this tonight that I hope that you just leave this place, you can't forget this little pool and start realizing this is who I am as you read um, through Ephesians. Once you realize that you're in him, you can put on that new identity. That's why he wrote and said, you're a saint, because you already are. In Christ, you are. If you're a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, you're in the pool. You're in him. There's two types of people here tonight. For some of you, you're not in him. You know, you haven't received the free gift of salvation. You haven't surrendered your life to God. You might go to church, but you haven't done that. Those things, all those things said tonight are not true for you. They aren't. Not until you, you say to the place, you know what, God, yeah, you know, I'm not going to be God in my life. I, I've run my life, but I've messed it up. I know that I've sinned against you. And not just saying, you know, God, I'm sorry for sinning. God, I'm, I, I believe that you washed that all away, and I'm going to trade places. God, I'm going to follow you and take on your, on your life and allow you to take mine uh, and, and to live, you know, through me, that I would live my life for you, your Lord of my life. Then you end up in the pool. Tonight, that's on the table for you. You have the opportunity tonight to, to say, yeah, I believe that, or no, I don't. To say, yeah, I'm going to trust the faith that's inside me. Say, yeah, God, I believe that's real, and I'm going to step out in that. Uh, and you can start new life in Christ tonight. For others of you here, you are. You're a follower of Jesus just like me, and yet you, all, you don't have it all together yet. There's a few here maybe who do, but you know, most of you are probably in that other category. I just want to encourage you tonight that this is the truth. The Bible is true that what he says about you is who you are done, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. Um, that's the, that's it, done. So tonight I want to encourage you with this as you read through Ephesians to say, this is who I am. And, and my prayer, like we started at the beginning, is that your eyes would be enlightened, that it would just come on and be like, yeah, okay, that's who I am. I don't care if I don't feel that way. That is who I am. And to live that out. Um, why don't we just... Uh, I want to give you a chance tonight, to, if, if there's things that you say, um, you know, as you've been reading through Ephesians, or something that we talked about tonight, you say, hey, the, you know what, uh, this is what God's been showing me, and that want, we want to give you a chance to share that tonight. We'll take a, take a couple minutes to do that. So, um, anybody got something like that? Oh, quiet. Or questions. That's one of the unique things for Saturday night, that you have that opportunity. They have to be related to the message.
No? You're good? You're good? A lot to think about. I know. That's when it goes, when you start going through the, through the verse by verse, there's a lot. But, but that's my prayer. Let me pray that for you tonight. Father, Dad, thank you for your word. <laughs> Thanks for inspiring Paul to write what we so desperately need. That we would know who we are in you. Jesus, I want to say thank you for doing everything so that we could be in you. Tonight I pray for those who don't know you here. Those who hear about the chance to have freedom, the chance to have a fresh start and a new life and, and desire it, but just don't know what to, don't know how to go about it. God, I pray that you just reveal yourself to them tonight. I ask that, that you would do, Holy Spirit, what, uh, <laughs> what no person can do and just show yourself real to them. Uh, Lord, I pray tonight for those who are sitting here and the lights are just coming on. The fog is lifting from their eyes about who they are. Uh, and they're in real tough spots right now, but they're believing what they hear tonight. I just rebuke the enemy right now from trying to steal any of those words. I pray that they'd be planted so deep in their hearts that they would grow and, and bring change in, in their lives for, for your glory. Thank you for what you've done in my life, Lord. I know it's changed me. I thank you for that. I give you the glory and the praise. It's in your amazing, wonderful name. I pray this. Amen.